Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan Chapter 7, Part 1 Now I saw in my dream that Christian went not forth alone, for there was one whose name was Hopeful, being so made by the beholding of Christian and faithful in their words and behavior, in their sufferings at the fair, who joined himself unto him, and entering into a brotherly covenant, told him that he would be his companion. Thus one died to bear witness to the truth, and another rises out of his ashes to be a companion with Christian in his pilgrimage. This hopeful also told Christian that there were many more of the men in the fair that would take their time and follow after. So I saw that quickly after they were gone out of the fair, they overtook one that was going before them, whose name was Byans. So they said to him, What countryman, sir? And how far go you this way? He told them that he came from the town of Fair Speech, and he was going to the celestial city, but told them not his name. From Fair Speech, said Christian, is there any good that lives there? Yes, said Byans, I hope so. Pray, sir, what may I call you? said Christian. I am a stranger to you, and you to me. If you be going this way, I shall be glad of your company. If not, I must be content. This town of fair speech, said Christian, I have heard of, and, as I remember, they say it's a wealthy place. Yes, I will assure you that it is, and I have very many rich kindred there. Pray, who are your kindred there, if a man may be so bold? Almost the whole town, and in particular my lord Turnabout, my lord Time Server, my lord Fair Speech, from whose ancestors that town first took its name, also Mr. Smoothman, Mr. Facing Both Ways, Mr. Anything, and the parson of our parish, Mr. Two Tongues was my mother's own brother, by father's side. And, to tell you the truth, I am become a gentleman of good quality. Yet my great-grandfather was but a waterman, looking one way and rowing another, and I got most of my estate by the same occupation. Are you a married man? Yes, and my wife is a very virtuous woman, the daughter of a virtuous woman. She was my lady Feigning's daughter. Therefore she came of a very honorable family, and is arrived to such a pitch of breeding that she knows how to carry it to all, even to prince and peasant. Tis true, we somewhat differ in religion from those of the stricter sort, yet but in two small points. First, we never strive against wind and tide. Secondly, we are always most zealous when religion goes in his silver slippers. We love much to walk with him in the street, if the sun shines, and the people applaud him. Then Christian stepped a little aside to his fellow, hopeful, saying, It runs in my mind that this is one by-ends, of fair speech, and if it be he, we have as very a knave in our company as dwelleth in all these parts. Then said hopeful, Ask him. Methinks he should not be ashamed of his name. So Christian came up with him again and said, Sir, you talk as if you knew something more than all the world doth. And if I take not my mark amiss, I deem I have half a guess of you. Is not your name Mr. Byens of Fair Speech? This is not my name, but indeed 
It is a nickname that is given me by some that cannot abide me, and I must be content to bear it as a reproach, as other good men have borne theirs before me. But did you never give an occasion to men to call you by this name? Never, never! The worst that ever I did to give them an occasion to give me this name was that I had always the luck to jump in my judgment with the present way of the times, whatever it was, and my chance was to get thereby. But if things are thus cast upon me, let me count them a blessing. But let not the malicious load me therefore with reproach. I thought indeed that you were the man that I had heard of, and to tell you what I think, I fear this name belongs to you more properly than you are willing we should think it doth. Well, if you will thus imagine, I cannot help it. You shall find me a fair company-keeper, if you will still admit me your associate. If you will go with us, you must go against wind and tide, the which I perceive is against your opinion. You must also own religion in his rags, as well as when in his silver slippers, and stand by him, too, when bound in irons, as well as when he walketh the streets with applause. You must not impose nor lord it over my faith. Leave me to my liberty, and let me go with you. Not a step farther, unless you will do in what I propound as we. Then said Byans, I shall never desert my old principles, since they are harmless and profitable. If I may not go with you, I must do as I did before you overtook me, even go by myself, until some overtake me that will be glad of my company. Now I saw in my dream that Christian and Hopeful forsook him, and kept their distance before him. But one of them, looking back, saw three men following Mr. Byans, and, behold, as they came up with him, he made them a very low congee, and they also gave him a compliment. The men's names were Mr. Hold the World, Mr. Moneylove, and Mr. Save All men that Mr. Byans had formerly been acquainted with, for in their minority they were schoolfellows, and taught by one Mr. Gripeman, a schoolmaster in Lovegain, which is a market town in the country of Coveting, in the north. This schoolmaster taught them the art of getting, either by violence, cozenage, flattering, lying, or by putting on a guise of religion. And these four gentlemen had attained much of the art of their master so that they could each of them have kept such a school themselves. Well, when they had, as I said, thus saluted each other, Mr. Moneylove said to Mr. Byans, Who are they upon the road before us? For Christian and Hopeful were yet within view. They are a couple of far countrymen, that, after their mode, are going on pilgrimage, said Byans. Alas, said Mr. Moneylove, why did they not stay, that we might have had their good company? For they, and we, and you, sir, I hope, are all going on pilgrimage. We are so indeed, replied Byans, but the men before us are so rigid, and love so much their own notions, and do also so lightly esteem the opinions of others, that let a man be ever so godly, yet if he jumps not with them in all things, they thrust him quite out of their company. That is bad, Mr. Savall said. But we read of some that are righteous overmuch, and such men's rigidness prevails with them to judge and condemn all but themselves. But I pray, what, and how many, were the things wherein you differed? Why they, after their headstrong manner, replied Byans, 
conclude that it is their duty to rush on their journey all weathers, and I am for waiting for wind and tide. They are for hazarding all for God at a clap, and I am for taking all advantages to secure my life and estate. They are for holding their notions, though all other men be against them. But I am for religion in what, and so far as the times and my safety will bear it. They are for religion when in rags and contempt, but I am for him when he walks in his silver slippers, in the sunshine, and with applause. Aye, and hold you there still, good Mr. Byens, said Mr. Hold the World. For, for my part, I can count him but a fool that having the liberty to keep what he has shall be so unwise as to lose it. Let us be wise as serpents. It is best to make hay while the sun shines. You see how the bee lieth still in winter, and bestirs her only when she can have profit with pleasure. God sends sometimes rain and sometimes sunshine. If they be such fools to go through the first, yet let us be content to take fair weather along with us. For my part, I like that religion best, that will stand with the security of God's good blessings unto us. For who can imagine that is ruled by his reason? since God has bestowed upon us the good things of this life, but that he would have us keep them for his sake. Abraham and Solomon grew rich in religion, and Job says that a good man shall lay up gold as dust. But he must not be such as the men before us, if they be as you have described them. I think that we are all agreed in this matter, said Mr. Saval, and therefore there needs no more words about it. No, replied Moneylove, there needs no more words about this matter, indeed, for he that believes neither scripture nor reason, and you see we have both on our side, neither knows his own liberty nor seeks his own safety. My brethren, said Byans, we are, as you see, going all on pilgrimage, and for our better diversion from things that are bad, give me leave to propound unto you this question. Suppose a man, a minister, or a tradesman, etc., should have an advantage lie before him to get the good blessings of this life, yet so as that he can by no means come by them, except, in appearance at least, he becomes extraordinary zealous in some points of religion that he meddled not with before. May he not use this means to attain his end, and yet be a right honest man? I see the bottom of your question, said Mr. Moneylove, and with these gentlemen's good leave, I will endeavor to shape you an answer. And first, to speak to your question as it concerneth a minister himself. Suppose a minister, a worthy man, possessed but of a very small benefice, and has in his eye a greater, more fat and plump by far. He has also now an opportunity of getting it, yet so as by being more studious, by preaching more frequently and zealously, and because the temper of the people requires it, by altering some of his principles. For my part, I see no reason why a man may not do this, provided he has a call. Aye, and more a great deal besides, and yet be an honest man. For why? 1. His desire of a greater benefice is lawful. This cannot be contradicted, since it is set before him by providence. So then he may get it if he can, making no question for conscience' sake. 2. Besides, 
his desire after that benefice makes him more studious, a more zealous preacher, etc., and so makes him a better man, yea, makes him better improve his parts, which is according to the mind of God. 3. Now, as for his complying with the temper of his people, by deserting, to serve them, some of his principles, this argueth, one, that he is of a self-denying temper, two, of a sweet and winning deportment, and three, so more fit for the ministerial function. Fourthly, I conclude, then, that a minister that changes a small for a great should not for so doing be judged as covetous, but rather, since he is improved in his parts and industry thereby, be counted as one that pursues his call, and the opportunity put into his hand to do good. And now to the second part of the question, which concerns the tradesman you mentioned. Suppose such an one to have but a poor employ in the world, but by becoming religious he may mend his market, perhaps get a rich wife, or more and far better customers to his shop. For my part, I see no reason but this may be lawfully done. For why? 1. To become religious is a virtue, by what means soever a man becomes so. 2. Nor is it unlawful to get a rich wife, or more custom to my shop. 3. Besides, the man that gets these by becoming religious, gets that which is good of them that are good, by becoming good himself. So then here is a good wife, and good customers, and good gain, and all these by becoming religious, which is good. Therefore, to become religious to get all these is a good and profitable design. This answer, thus made by Mr. Moneylove to Mr. Byan's question, was highly applauded by them all. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right.